0: Uh Oh Tyler Smith and this is more than one lesson episode 199 I wanted to first say thank you to everybody for your patience uh, over the last several weeks Um, as I said things are a little rough for me right now uh, emotionally and I would say psychologically and as a result spiritually and uh, i just needed to take a little break while jen and i finalized this move to a new house and i was very uh, stressed and it has been a rough time and i'm not necessarily out of it so your continued prayers uh, would be appreciated um and uh, I want to say a special thank you to Reed, who at the moment is in the room, but he is not yet allowed to ta- to talk. So, uh, thank you, Reed. Do not respond uh, for uh, taking over the last few weeks. Um, so, uh, before we get into this specific episode, I did want to say that this episode is brought to you by Faith Life TV, a new streaming service for the discerning Christian. Documentaries, narrative films, biblical epics, and more. Faith Life TV provides hours of insight and entertainment for Christian viewers looking to be engaged emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. So, this week I wanted to talk about a documentary called Captivated. It's a film that explores the effect both of what we watch and how much we watch it. So here's the thing about this documentary. It is remarkably interesting. Um, Many of you know that Jen and I are working towards adopting a child. And one thing that we've been talking about is the, is, is, you know, I love movies and I love TV. And so at what age am I going to expose uh, our, our child to these things? And, this is a fascinating documentary and then it talks about the impact and the addictive nature of media. When I say media, I don't mean the media, that term actually means something now, but this is all media from phones to TV, to music, um, to social media is a big part of it. Um, and it talks about how addictive it it is and how destructive it is. And it really was fascinating and really eye-opening. Here's what I'll say. That's the first half second half is about content and unsurprisingly this is the part that I have more of a problem with listeners of more than one lesson you know my thoughts on this um, I do think at times it takes a, a bit more of a nuanced opinion uh, uh, and says that you know in the end that you parents and stuff just kind of decide the nature of, of what it is they want their kids to see but there there are a couple interviewees some of whom I've personally met um and i won't go into any more detail on that but they they say some things that i don't necessarily agree with but one of the things that that is under that that is underneath all of this is this idea of of wanting to live a life that is effective and um glorifying to god and so i'd say like the 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 idea of trying to glorify God through the media that you consume. I think that is a good idea. I think where the issue comes in is, uh, when people have a very specific definition, uh, of, or a very specific idea of what type of film or TV show or music glorifies God. And it, happens to coincide with what they are comfortable with. So I think that can be a problem, but the film is still very interesting. It's called Captivated, uh, and it's thought-provoking, and and it can, I think, inspire conversations uh, amongst uh, Christian adults. So check it out. Uh, It's at Faithlife TV, and then there's a a special offer for listeners of More Than One Lesson. Uh, You can get a free month of Faithlife TV. Just go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the Faithlife link for your free month. And then also this episode is brought to you by Me, a service meant to provide logistical and emotional support to those in ministry. The nitty-gritty of getting a ministry off the ground these days can be exhausting, so Digi- Digiciple Me can help with blogging, social media posts, marketing, logo design, and many of the other elements crucial to any successful business or ministry. Just go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the DigiCyple logo on the right side of the page. So that's uh, those are our sponsors, and uh, I want to thank them very much for... Uh, supporting the show um and then i also want to talk about some of the things that are available on the website right now there is a new review of christopher nolan's dunkirk uh written by bob Connolly. uh tober corrigan uh is continuing his series uh of called trilogy anatomy and he wrote about war for the planet of the apes and while that is Considered a trilogy right now. I would say there's always the possibility that the studio could uh, wa- Could finance another one and therein lay my problem with war for the planet of the apes I feel like it leaves it a little bit too open um, Reed lackey wrote a review of among the living um, Which is available on shutter right now and then there's uh, the recent episode of fear of God is about the wonderful David Cronenberg film the fly uh, Daryl has written a review of a uh, an ensemble film called person to person. And then lastly, I wanted to remind everybody that my book worth watching is available at worthwatchingbook.com. And then you can also purchase it through more than com. So, uh, lots of stuff to do, lots of stuff to listen to and read. So, uh, so go to more than one and spend some time there and check out what is available. All right. So, that's f- almost six minutes of announcements and sponsorship stuff. So now it is time to actually let Reed talk as though he hasn't been doing enough of it for the last few weeks. Um, so, uh, he kind of honestly, like I didn't even really want to take a break. He kind of muscled me out. Um, there was a hostile takeover for three weeks and then finally I was able to marshal my forces and, uh, and get him out of the office anyway. Uh, but yeah, uh, Reed lackey is here. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm sure listeners are really relieved that, uh, that <laughs> this is a dialogue
1: now and, uh, not just, uh, me waxing poetic about the things that I love.
0: Oh, it was, it was perfectly fine. Uh, based on the numbers, people, uh, enjoyed your shows and, and, oh, and listen to them. And, you know, obviously my big fear is people realize they prefer you to me and now they're that angry that I'm happen. back. No. Um, <laughs> obviously that's how it would work. Uh, that's my, uh, anytime, like for example, I was TAing, uh, uh, in the spring and there was a day that I actually had to, leave because uh jen's grandfather passed away so uh mm. this guy dave uh filled in for me and i'm friends with dave and he's a very good looking guy from uh, south africa so mm. he has the accent on top of everything else oh wow and uh word got around uh word got back to me that many of the students uh, commented to each other and apparently to him in the evaluations that he's a very attractive guy. And so when I came back, (laughs) when I came back the next week, it was like, and I believe I even said, it's like, I'm sure many of you miss Dave with his gorgeous eyes and his (laughs) adorable (laughs) accent. And meanwhile, I am here with my weird game show host cadence, Uh, (laughs) but we've got stuff to get to. So let's get to it. So, but, uh, but yeah, that was my assumption that they're like, Oh, why do, why do we want tyler back oh right we don't so anyway but Mm. uh but like it or not i'm here for episode (laughs) i like it it. uh so anyway um so yes thank you again reed for for filling in i do appreciate a great deal um so okay here's what we're talking about today (laughs) much to my surprise on a number of levels so i grew up playing Atari first, and then Nintendo, hmm. and uh, a game that my brother and I enjoyed, and that most of my friends enjoyed, was called Castlevania. Oh yes. Now I believe we only played the first one. There have been several since then. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I didn't think about it. Who cares? You know, as I got older. And then I think I saw a trailer for a Netflix animated uh, series about Castlevania, and the trailer looked really good, and I thought, like, hey. Castlevania I, I know that thing right right um, and the trailer actually looked pretty good and so I thought like I'll, I'll watch that and so uh, a few days ago I watched uh, I watched it and uh, I watched it quicker than I assumed because I did not know that it was that the first season was only four episodes <laughs> yeah, each one 22 minutes long uh, if at first it was while I was working and then I actually went back and rewatched it when I decided I wanted to do it for the show Um But while I was, while I was working, you know, on Netflix, it'll just go from one episode into the next and then episode four finishes and it ends on a, on definitely a, it's setting things up. Yeah. I, Um, yeah, I was surprised by the ending. And, uh, so then there was a a long silence after that was over and I thought like, Oh, what's going on? I wonder if there's a problem. And there's like, wait, why is Why is Netflix recommending a different show? (laughs) I was like, is this four episodes? Yeah. What a tease. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but that it's in many ways, that's kind of, that's kind of nice because it gives us a much more concentrated thing to talk about. And admittedly, we almost never talk about TV. Uh, We never devote a specific, a specific episode to a television show. You talked about cheers. And I feel like before that, I can't really think of an example. I think we definitely could. I think we could do episodes about lost and, and maybe twin peaks and stuff like that. Sure. Um,
1: We've referenced things tangentially. I'm positive, sure. but I I don't know if there had been. And I almost said it in the Cheers episode. I almost said this was the f- that that it was the first, but I hadn't done my research and I didn't feel
0: confident about that. But I I thought that might have been the I first one. It, I think it might be honestly. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, although I guess when you think about it, Jesus of Nazareth was uh, on was, TV. That was a so mini series. It was a mini series. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm a TV guy, evidently. I guess so. <laughs> i the new TV guy. Do you want to just start a like a new TV podcast? TV podcast. Of this movie podcast. Yeah, that's that's what we'll do. Um stay but, tuned. But I will say that so okay, we got four episodes, twenty two minutes each. Well, that's feature that's movie length. It kind of know? feels
1: like a film. It felt yeah. more like a film to me than than any TV yeah. show variety. Yeah. Um yeah, it's definitely something that when I was watching it and I was I was glad that it was so brief because I, uh, you know, it was just oh, this is not going to take me very long. This, like you said, yeah. it's, it's 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 an evening because I can just watch that all, those in quick succession. Now, I was surprised, and I'm sure we'll get into some of this when we talk about the film or I say film uh, when we talk about the TV show itself. Um, but I was definitely very surprised that its lack of definitive closure at the end. Uh, I mean, it is yeah. it, it feels like you're you're about to head into the series finale or the season finale when it stops. Yeah. And, uh, so I don't know
0: quite how I feel about that. Maybe we'll process it in real time, but it's, so what, one thing that I will say is that I actually went to a Castlevania panel at Ah, Comic-Con. Okay. Uh, featuring the director and the showrunner, And I think, uh, the guy, uh, one of the guys in charge of the animation. Okay. Um, not the writer warren ellis who's uh, very famous in the comic book community. Sure. yeah of course. um and uh and they definitely addressed the four episode thing and i and they said like you know that the season they have been picked up for season two and it's like is there ever the possibility of a netflix show not being picked up for a second season well i guess girl boss like I don't, fizzled
1: remember, out. I don't remember yeah. what that is. I think that's happened exactly twice where okay. a show debuted a, a season one and then just the budget combined with how few people sure. watched it, like sure. bottomed out the show. But, but yeah, I haven't seen any of
0: those, so I can't speak from personal experience, right. but. Uh, they did say that season two will have eight episodes mm. uh, and they said, we'll get them out as soon as we can. They'll, they'll be out in 2018. And yeah. I will say that just like, I, I get it. But like, you know, a year for four episodes to carry you over for a year is is pretty rough. But they said that the way they view the whole show, not merely the first season, is that each episode is essentially a chapter of a book. And that they don't view it as a pure season structure, which I think probably makes sense. And taking all of these episodes together, it definitely feels like not necessarily a prologue, but okay, act one yeah yeah you know uh P- uh we've got our our reluctant hero mm-hmm. and then he gets he gains some allies uh the threat has definitely established itself and now they are ready to move outside of their safe uh, their their comfort zone the world they know and go into a much more dangerous world mm-hmm. um and so uh so i would assume season two will function mostly as act two yeah um what i have found out in doing my research uh is that this the the plot for the show is ba is actually based more specifically on one of the castlevania games which is three i did read that yes um which i never played that game
1: i i like you played Primarily the first one, I believe.
0: Well, which is why I was kind of surprised because when I hear that this that the main character's name is Trevor Belmont, well, right. I grew up with Simon Belmont. Me too. And so I was just like, Trevor Belmont, what does that mean? Well, and then it turns out that Castlevania three is actually a prequel. Mm. And Trevor Belmont, and you do play as Trevor Belmont in that one. Mm. And he is the, the great grandfather or, or something like that of Simon of Belmont. Of Simon, okay. And so I thought yeah. like, well, that's interesting because that actually means that well, it means a couple things. One, I guess it means like, all right, so I guess Dracula's not going to die in the series (laughs) or maybe they will. And they'll just leave it like this. He died in every hammer film. And then they kept coming back. (laughs) I guess that's true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very eager to see season two partially because season one ended on such a, if cliffhanger feels like the wrong word. Yeah. It's much more set up. Yeah. Like
1: cliffhanger feels like I I kinda understand what you're saying, although I'm I'm cutting you off and not letting you articulate it. But yeah, Cliffhanger is the kind of thing where they're not telling you what happens like right next. Right. But this definitely feels like just the gathering of the forces. Yeah. And now you're gonna get to go see the next battle, uh, maybe
0: sometime in the future. Yes. (laughs) Uh it reminds me, I think there was a I believe there was a walking dead season that ended on a note. I really liked where the, the, the group that we're that we are familiar with, they've been captured and they, uh, and it's like season four at this point. Oh, and I think I know which one you're talking about and Rick. And so it's like, and things seem pretty dire. Right. And again, this is like the last moment. And Rick actually says something. It's one of my favorite moments of the series. I know what you're talking about now where he says, something like these guys are going to feel stupid when they realize that they're screwing with the wrong people. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's such a, it, it- it's such an interesting moment because up until then that shows actually, it's maybe one of the reasons it sticks out to me because I don't like the walking dead is that it actually shows character progression Mm. because he and the other people, they've gone from one situation to another. And when they've been in dire circumstances, there's a certain degree of panic, a certain amount of despair. And now it's like, no, we've been in this before and we kind of know what we're doing yeah, and we're not going to be in this for long. Right. And Exactly. And I remember, and it's this, and aside from him saying "screwing" and not honestly what I think he should have said, I right, think it would have right. been more. I think it would have been more definitive. Yeah, uh, the if comic said,
1: says the real one. Yeah, Yep. yeah. Of course, it's it the would. right instinct. Yeah. I mean, I
0: hate to put it that way, but like sometimes swearing is the thing to do, right, right, for yeah. maximum impact. Sure. Um. So it's like it's, and that's the season finale. Yeah. And so it's this idea is like, we have all made this decision to do this big thing. Tune in next season. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels, it feels like that. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that struck me. It's such an interesting structure, but, uh, but the way they describe it as like chapters. And I know that in some novels, there have been, there's like part one, and then within that, there's a few chapters, and there's part two, and there's right, a few chapters. Right. This felt very much like part one, and there's four chapters. Yeah. And then part two,
1: and here will be eight chapters. On, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right.
0: So um,
1: that's a good analogy. I think it works really well to, to see the series in that light, knowing that it's, and yeah. of course, it's, I, I won't necessarily call it a cop out because they were obviously hoping for a renewal. Right. But I definitely think that it It is the kind of thing where if if the series is allowed to progress to the vision of the showrunners, then yes that that yeah. will be how we'll ultimately view it. that yeah. season one will be like the part one with four chapters, and then we'll move on from that
0: i I can totally get behind that analogy and it definitely sounds like Netflix you know I think one one good thing about Netflix and it's a it's a, a service that I'm increasingly critical of one thing is that they do seem to allow their showrunners absolute control. Yeah. They seem to. Yeah. That's um, the impression. I think, I think their level of control comes with conception of an idea and maybe working with the showrunner so that they, so the showrunner produces a show that Netflix can get behind and really promote and right. lends itself to not merely serialization, but also binging, Mm, so it's like right, all right, right this is what we need as long as you can provide that you can do whatever you want sure that seems to be it now that is something that is actually a pretty large constraint mm. but within that i think i think uh showrunners can do what they want um so i'll say that as far as the show itself uh of Castlevania. I feel like there's a lot of ways to talk about it. This, as as the case with any any film, but because it's animated and because it definitely has its animation roots in an anime type style, sure, which is a an animation style I'm not I'm not really familiar with, Mm, aside from the occasional Cowboy Bebop episode that (laughs) I used to watch, right? Um, so you know, talking about it visually, um. And then as far as characters and dialogue and then overall story, but I feel like because we're not given a lot of satisfaction there, we can maybe talk about story beats, but we can't talk about the overall story. Right. And then obviously thematically. Um, So one thing that I'll mention is that, uh, so I I just got back from Comic-Con and I watched uh, a DC animated film called Batman and Harley Quinn. Mm. It's not good. Um, and then last year I saw the killing joke, which surprisingly was also not good. Yeah. I didn't, I was very disappointed. Boy. Yeah. I didn't see Batman
1: and Harley Quinn. Oh, it's not out yet. But, uh, killing joke was a major disappointment to me.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because the animation style, I'll say that Batman and Harley Quinn owes a lot more of its style to Batman in the animated series, which is a good call. Oh, okay. But in both cases, the animation just seems a little bit cheap. Hmm. And not very ambitious. Hmm. The opening credit sequence of Batman and Harley Quinn is actually remarkably ambitious and reminded me of like, catch me if you can and stuff like that. And wow. it's actually, it's quite delightful. The film, the, the the show, the, the movie does not Support top it. it. Mm, gotcha. Um, but, uh, so the animation just seemed cheap and, and unambitious and functional at best. Hmm. So when I saw, you know, when I watch, uh, Castlevania—that animation seems remarkably ambitious. I love sure. its use of color. I u- love its use of atmosphere. It, you, I'll, for example, it uses the color red really well. Oh um, yes, I love some of those shots in that church. In the oh, the, absolutely wonderful, yeah. Um, and so, and then of course, again, thinking in terms of anime, the way the characters move, the expressions on their face, mm-hmm. the way their hair falls. <laughs> right, right, um, yeah. It's, uh, it's something that it took me a moment to get used to because like, oh yes, I remember this. I haven't seen this in a while. I just, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's, it's unique to that genre of animation and I just needed to adapt to it. Um, and so then we can get to the characters and, and that sort of thing. But overall, uh, I liked the show. It took me a while to like the show. Okay. There's a thing in the last episode that is like, Okay, now I'm 100% on board with the show, and now we're going to do an episode about it. Oh, I Um, think I know what you're talking about. I'm sure you know what it is. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, what were, your, what were your general thoughts on the show? Was it, let me ask you this. If I hadn't said, Hey, do you want to do an episode about Castlevania? Would you, would you have even watched it? I would have, I don't know that okay. I've would have gotten it to it when I did, but, right. uh, but yeah, I definitely would have the, well, don't you want to talk about it now that everyone's talking about it? Oh, I know. S- stay tuned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that I, um, I definitely would have seen it. I definitely would have checked it out. Cause yeah. I'm you know, I'm a horror guy. I like that. I played the game. Yeah. I'm affectionate to that franchise. Um, so I was very curious to see what they were going to do. Um, knowing about the four episode format before going into it, I was immensely more curious. I was kind of hoping for a much, uh, and this is not a criticism. This right. is just an expectation measuring. Um, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of a complete sort of focused little story, but right. I'm on, I'm on board with what they're doing. Yeah. Um I would say in general, I really, I could see myself easily when season two comes out, like driving right back to it because it did suck me in. I was, I don't think ever bored. I was, I was way more entertained than I was prepared to be. One thing that I did get to enjoy is like my wife was asleep already. So I was in the living room. I turned out all of the lights and, and really, you know, I just got my little snacks and my drink and, and just really enjoyed it. Just sort of absorbed all four of them in one whack the way you would a movie as we've already talked about. Um, So yeah, I, I was really taken in by the atmosphere. I'm not a big anime fan. Yeah. So I like the animation style, um, typically the story structure for animes tend to frustrate me, um, which I know lots of listeners are going to automatically roll their eyes to it, but I, is just never really, I've never really acclimated or got on board with that general storytelling style. Uh, so I was worried about that for this, but found that not to be the case, probably because Warren Ellis is the writer. Right. Um, and I am familiar with his work and with his style, but, um, I was immediately sucked in. I was immediately on board. I thought the I thought the sequences were really great. There, there's some genuine frights to it, yeah. and uh, not just in the gore element of it, but there were some times where I was like, I don't know what's about to happen, and found it to be tremendously suspenseful in the in the first episode when Dracula sort of realizes that his bride has been, has been murdered yeah. and awakens as it were the, those sequences were fantastic. I remember yeah. sitting there going, Oh, here we go. <laughs> this is, yeah. uh, and, and the, the show just drew me right in and it, uh, held my
0: interest right up until the final frame. I thought it was wonderful. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that you were never bored. There are people that have said they were bored. That's um, interesting. Okay. They said nothing happened. Wow. And That just, and I'll say this, that one of my little, not even a trigger, but just like a button that can be pushed, not to annoy me, but to get my attention. Anytime somebody says that in a movie or TV show that nothing happens, Hmm. my first thought is, does nothing happen or does nothing of a specific type happen? Right, right, because, And I can definitely understand it because Dracula has then been, he's been established, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't show up again. Nope. After that, like yep. it's all minions and it's all demons and that kind of thing. And the show ends before the one could say the proper story kicks in. Right. But of course, I do care about character, mm-hmm. especially the idea of a character who is not interested in doing what the show needs him to do. Right. And over the course of four episodes, now four episodes isn't that long, but when you think that this is, when you think in terms of like, oh, this is actually essentially a feature length film. And it takes him that long to even get on board with doing what he needs to do. Right. That I think is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just developments within that. And there is, there are action sequences. There are fight sequences and sequences. I will say like when he fights, for example, a Cyclops. That's one of my favorite moments in the whole show. I thought it was wonderful. So I'm not a gamer. Okay. But I know enough about games Mm, mm -hmm. to know that the idea of like him fighting this Cyclops and the Cyclops shoots lasers and he has to, he seems to have to hit him a certain number of times before the Cyclops dies or there's, oh, there's a trick to killing the Cyclops. That's very video game. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even a moment, I don't remember when it is. I want to say it's episode two, maybe three, where Trevor is jumping from one platform to another, basically. Mm, yeah, um, I remember where you're talking. And it's, about. it's a brief moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's absolutely how those side scrolling platformer games were. Sure, yeah. That's how Castlevania was. And so I actually do. I'm sure this, I would think this more if I were a gamer and if I had certainly, if I had played Castlevania three, but um, I like that they're, do, they're doing their own thing. They're creating a TV show, mm-hmm. but they are definitely paying a lot of homage to probably that game, but also what video games are. And I know a lot of people have said that as far as video game adaptations, this is one of the best because it still in many ways feels like the spirit of the game. Yeah. It is literally a video game adapted into a TV show Mm -hmm. as opposed to a TV show inspired by the game. And then we're going to go do our own thing. Right. Um, Right. Exactly. It's like we essentially, we're just going to make a a generic fantasy, but we're going to plug in the name Dracula and Uh. Belmont and we're (laughs) good. Um, so yeah, those sequences, I feel like, well, there's enough of those. And then there's several scenes of just horrible carnage and that's right. Of, oh yeah. I can't, I think only because there isn't a satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and because Dracula doesn't show back up, I guess there I could see someone saying nothing happens, but I feel like tons of things happen. Sure. That oh, i sure that I find very satisfying on a number of levels, character yeah, certainly thematically. Um, and yeah so it's so i i i like that you said that you were never bored and you oh, said yeah. it like how could anybody be bored by oh this? yeah yeah um and yeah i i agree i really enjoyed it now uh from a character standpoint from a, a voice actor standpoint i think all the performances are very good uh richard armitage uh plays yeah, I really liked him trevor and yeah it's of course, like so many people, I think of Richard Armitage as like Thorin Oakenshield, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the most boring and bland <laughs> characters I've ever run across in film. Uh, I don't blame him for that. I think it's just there's nothing particularly interesting about the character. Y- yeah. Uh, but Richard Armitage does play Francis Dollarhide in season three of Hannibal. Oh, which I haven't seen. Yeah. Okay, But you've seen Manhunter, right? Yes, I've seen Manager. So he's the Tooth Fairy. Okay, gotcha. All right. And as an actor, he goes to some really complex places. And I remember being like, oh, wow, he's a way better actor than than is indicated in The Hobbit. Mm. Um, And with this character, Trevor, like, you know, how many times have we seen, like, oh, he's basically like you know, the cop being pulled in for one last, right. Like, we need right. your help. You know, we need the old blade runner, you know, whatever it is. <sighs> right. Right. Um, but he's a drunk and he's trying to run away from who he used to be. Sure. So cliche, mm-hmm. but I think I, we really get a sense that Trevor Belmont is out of practice because he gets beaten up in a bar. Oh yeah. Uh, by a couple of hoodlums. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a guy who's fought demons and vampires, but these two drunks beat him up. Um, because he himself is quite drunk and like throws up and just, Oh yeah. And seems to really be wanting to get away from things. Like he's not looking to fight and there's no bill. There's no nobility in how he fights. Right. Uh, so he really, and I think, I think Richard Armitage plays that well. Of course it's in his voice, but, um, doesn't try to add like a winking wisdom or, or a specific type of noble world weariness. No, this is a guy who, is doing everything he can to not do the right thing. Right. Um, it's like, well, I'm not going to, it's like, I'm not going to add to the evil, but I'm not going to fight it either. I'm <laughs> just going to sit this one out right, uh, as long as I can. And so I think that really comes through and I like the way the character is written. There's a surprising humor, to the overall show in general, it is very funny. Me. Yeah, it is very funny. It's it's witty, yeah. and there's
1: lots of uh, tongue-in-cheek sarcasm, particularly yeah. from Trevor, but yeah. not exclusively from Trevor. Uh, also from Sifa... Is that how you say? It? I Cifa, think so. Yeah. I forget some of the pronunciations, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the the script clips along, and it's
0: got it's got a surprising sardonic wit to it. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, and it surprised me. Like honestly admittedly when i like cowboy bebop had wit to it, but when I think of anime for reasons that are probably not fair at all, mm. uh, it seems like something that would be very self-serious. Uh. <laughs> um, so when there are jokes and I wasn't expecting the swearing as well, Oh sure. Um, right. but I think it delivers it really well. And then, uh, as far as other members of the voice cast, I think, I think it's uniformly well-performed, but I did want to mention, uh, The delightfully named Graham McTavish, uh uh, yes, as Dracula. Mm -hmm. I think you know for his limited screen time does a great job. Matt Frewer, yeah, who is an actor I've loved for years. He plays the bishop, and I would never have guessed, yeah, based on that vocal performance. But it's a it's a marvelous performance. I was shocked when I saw that he was playing.
1: Yeah, that he was playing the bishop, and it made me want to go back. And uh, I did not get this chance before recording, but I'm sure I will, that it made me want to go back and listen to him speak specifically again, knowing like that's Matt Frewer. like yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Graham McTavish, who I, I don't watch this show, but I guess he's in Preacher, oh, okay. um, but he's the guy who's uh, the agent or manager of uh, in Creed. Of the, the big Ricky Conlon, the big guy. Oh, okay. That's Graham McTavish. Okay. And, and so when I saw his name, because he, he's hit my radar a couple of times. Um, yeah. And, and he's he's a wonderful, he delivers a wonderful performance. But I feel like, like you said, the vocal performances are, are pretty uniformly wonderful.
0: Yeah. And and they're given good dialogue to say. Right. Um, and one thing that really comes through with the character of Dracula and just the general situation is that like, this is more complex Mm -hmm. because when it comes right down to it, like a terrible thing is done to Dracula. Right. And essentially what we are rooting, what we are rooting against is his, his, uh, overreaction or his over retaliation. There's part of us. that's like, well, sure. We want some, yeah. Like, The church and the townspeople—they need to pay, kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's weird. It's just like, yeah. I mean, we want them to suffer, but not like this. Yeah. Don't do that. And that's—you're not often in that situation, sure, as a viewer, Mm -hmm. where it's like, yes, yes, yes. I want the innocents to suffer. But because the villain is, who's not even that much of a villain, he's a villain only because he's not, he's not causing them to suffer to the degree that I think they should. Right. He's doing his own thing. And so it's just like, ah, I guess I'll root for Trevor Mm. because he seems to have his priorities straight. Kind (laughs) of. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I like that complexity. Mm -hmm. What I will say to, to, to move on, is that uh, in the first episode, this is something that's been on my mind lately and listeners of Battleship Retention will know probably what sparked it, which was the handmaid's tale, which admittedly I have not seen. Um, But more just the responses to the handmaid's tale. Mm -hmm. Um, As we see the church in this uh, kingdom, in this world, uh, we see the church, zero in on Dracula's wife, who she is herself, not a vampire. And she actually kind of keeps him in check. Right. Um, and she is herself a scientist who just wants to help humanity, mm-hmm. uh, by creating medicines and all kinds of things. Right. And so that's the, that's kind of the introduction. And then it comes to like sometime later and she's going to be burned at the stake for being a witch because, right. of, uh, because the church doesn't like this scientific stuff she's doing. So she's being burned at the stake and like the, the, the bishop and the other priests like are, are suspicious of uh, the, uh, Oh, what are they? The speakers the speakers of the uh, alternate group. That's also trying to help. Yeah. Right. So there's this group that, that is, that are kind of like gypsies, honestly. Yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Hmm. Um, So they come into town and the, and the priests are willing to get violent in order to get them oh, out of town. Yeah. Uh, and so, So the church literally makes Dracula a sympathetic character. And I was just like, (laughs) right. I was like, I'm not in the mood for this. Right. Right. Like, yes, yes. The church is awful. We all get it. I understand. (laughs) And and after the first episode and I feel bad, I don't usually care that much about it, but I was just tired. I was so tired of it. Sure. Oh, Um, I understand. I understand. And it, and I wasn't, I, part of me, we didn't want to continue watching. And I thought like, but at the end of the first episode is when they really introduced Trevor. And I was like, all right, well, that, that'll keep me interested. Let's I, see what's going on. Yeah. Right, right. And so we continue. and uh, But then we have Trevor like defending one of the speakers against the priest. And it's like, sure. all right, we're just getting more of this. It's not until the scene that you and I are... Uh, we're probably thinking of the same scene. The fourth, the fourth episode, yeah. at this point, Dracula has is starting to wreak havoc on right. this town. And these horrific demons oh, yeah. are killing everybody in the most graphic way. And it's jarring to say, I feel like in order to get the viewer on Trevor's side and recognize that Dracula is in fact overreacting to <laughs> say the least, right? These demons do kill babies. Yeah. D- babies are the definition of innocence. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah these demons killing them. It's like, okay, well done. Yep. Warren Ellis, you have effectively set up. What is at stake here?
1: Yeah. Pretty gruesomely too. Like it the, doesn't hold back.
0: Yeah. It's, it is uh, difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, so at near the beginning of episode four, um, the primary villain of this season is the Bishop. Yes. Yes. And so we cut to him in the midst of all this chaos. He's in his church. Right. And, you know, the city's on fire, creating a wonderful red color to everything. Sure. So he's in this giant church. And then the demons start to infiltrate the church. And led by one demon in particular, the design of which is genuinely startling. Yeah. And the voice... And it, the di- demon can speak and the voice it uses is very unnerving. And to have this giant demon, like w- just walk down the aisle. And there are all these other demons that kind of crawling down the walls and stuff sure. to have this demon walk down the aisle and just stand in front of the bishop and the bishop looks very small. And this demon is just right there talking to him. And there's a, uh, I, I wrote it down here. It's actually more of a dialogue, but I, I, uh, I, uh, I condensed it into essentially a monologue of what the Mm. demon says. Gotcha. Uh, So the the bishop says, he's kind of incredulous, and he says to the demon like, you are not allowed in the house of God. Right. So like he clearly thought like, as long as I stay in the church, I'm good. Mm -hmm. To which the demon says, God is not here. This is an empty box. Your God's love is not unconditional. He does not love us and he does not love you. Your life's work makes him puke. Your God knows that we wouldn't be here without you. This is all your fault, isn't it? So there's a lot of back there, but again, that is not a monologue. Clearly some of that that I read is in response to something the Bishop is saying. sure. Right. But I didn't want to go through the whole dialogue. Um, and that is what, and that is the scene where I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. now we're talking now right. this is not just a condemnation. Cause I thought it was a condemnation of the church by which I mean like, the body of believers and maybe even the concept of belief because sure, it's, it's right. very clear that the Bishop and the other priests are just using them and they're using the, the townspeople's faith yeah. to manipulate them and to get power and to consolidate their power. Sure. Um, and I just thought like, and the way Trevor talks about the church and is being excommunicated, like it's clear that, okay, this is really holding the church's feet to the fire. Um, literally at the end and, um, but in this scene is when I was, when it, it was kind of all redeemed Yeah. that this demon shows up and the demon acknowledges the existence of God. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea and makes it clear that no, no, like what you're doing is specifically not what God wants. Right. Which means that God does want things mm-hmm. and wants the opposite. Of what this church is doing. So it's very clear that, like, no, this is about the corrupt political uh wing of the church many decades many centuries ago. Right. And and I liked that a lot. I really liked that this demon, the demon was speaking on behalf of God, but not as God's representative. Right. But like this idea of I am a demon and I know more about your God than you do. hmm You've been using God Mm -hmm. to get what you want. We are afraid of God as we are Mm -hmm. demons, but thankfully, we don't have to worry about this being God's house because you you drove him out of here a long time ago. Right. And the scene is well written, well animated, beautifully acted by all involved. And it and it ends on such a weird, creepy, oddly sexual, alien esque note that's really powerful where the demon because he, he says god does not love us and he does not love you now i may have like an issue with that and it says god's love is not unconditional i may have an issue with that idea but i understand, I understand what they're right. saying right um but then the demon says we love you mm-hmm. we wouldn't be here without you and this says, uh like let me kiss you oh my and then, gosh. Like, he, and then like he the demon gets in closer and then we see like we kind of cut away, but then we see the priest's feet get lifted in the air and like all this blood come down and the sounds of like chewing and crunching and all that. And the oh. priest screaming and really it's re- freaky, but there's just something about this monster saying, we love you. Let me kiss you. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And this, this monster is like multi-fanged. He's yeah. got two big tusks, yeah. you know, uh, sort of up front in his, I don't even know what shape. It's almost lizard esque. The yeah. shape of his of his head, and it's he's got multiple eyes. Like yeah. you said, it's a very disturbing sort of creature design. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he's got this. That, that that was what was really fascinating to me about the 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 scene in general. I love the phrase that he says uh, right up top, where he's just like, "This is an empty box." Yeah, and I loved that language choice because. Yeah. A little, co- little coffin esque, yeah, yeah, and he's clearly standing in a building, yeah. Um, so, it, it, and and like you said, it, it's it's this illusion of so the place is not the substance of right. of the faith. You know that that yes, like you said, they're implying there is a substance to faith, yeah, not necessarily. Uh, you know, this demon is not going to go into all of the ins and outs of theological rules and theological understandings, but implying that there is a substance to some of that. It's just not present here in this place. And one of the things that I found so compelling about that scene in general is how it called out just precisely how much faith the bishop, the bishop had in the structure. Yeah. He had faith in, He even said that he felt the archbishop must have failed somehow in his in his understanding of uh, I forget exactly how he phrased it. And I didn't write it down, but he says something like, "I, I believe that he had some things which compromised his discipline. Right. And that was he says something along those lines. And that was part of what he believed had allowed the demonic spirits to be in so so the fact that they're here and they're really drilling it to him about like this place is hollow like and 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 your god hates the the work you do makes him puke i like yeah i loved i just loved that entire scene structurally thematically it was it wasn't as you had articulated it it wasn't the hinge point for me sort of being on board with the show. Um, I have come, as much as it annoys me, it, and it sincerely does, I have come to just accept that there's a stigma surrounding, like, the church, sure. that church officials, I almost... I'm, I'm a Christian. But if I see somebody who represents the church, I almost always distrust them. Sure. If I see them in a film or, you know, read about them in the book, unless it's like... Southern comfort, you know, the local reverend showing up at the cookout, you know, like that, like anytime I'll sort of automatically distrust the religious authority figure. And so I think I've just kind of come to accept that that's the framework. And what I look for is I look for how do they treat faith tangentially around. So, so Trevor, one of the things I appreciate about the show, and I don't know if this is precisely where you were going sort Mm -hmm. of with the theme, but one of the things I appreciate about the show is in that same episode, uh, after we've, you know, sort of beat up on the, the, the church has been the primary villain. Right. Trevor Belmont, after he dispels the one priest, well, he doesn't dispel him. The townspeople yeah. essentially treat him like a shish kebab. But when that happens, then he goes to fight the demons. What does he ask for? He asks for a priest yeah. to go and yeah. bless some water. And that's what, and so the film is not like what I'm driving at in brief is the film does not adopt a posture of sort of anti-faith, right? but it definitely creates a dichotomy and a comparison between the specific variety of faith put forth by the bishop and his ilk yeah. and the faith of the, we'll just call it the common people, yeah. for lack of a better way of articulating that. Um, so, the, And it sets up these two sort of different ways of understanding. I mean, the, yeah. the, the fact that... That water, which was blessed by that priest, does genuinely have the impact on the demons that yeah. Trevor thinks it's going to have. Yeah. Um, so I, I took note of that, and I I found that interesting, that the film does put forth a lot of very antagonistic things towards this pers- specific brand of religion, right. but it did not, I'll use uh, kind of a silly term, but it didn't slime me yeah. in terms of feeling like it was just down on the church. I didn't get that impression.
0: Yeah, and I think it was probably the it was the first couple episodes that did it for that made me feel that way. But I but I I I kept watching because there was enough stuff that was interesting. And I think it was that scene with the demon that not so much got me totally on board. Not got me on board with the show. I think by that time I was, but that was the one that's like okay, we're doing an episode. Yeah, that's right. That's for sure. Um, And yeah, I do. I really do like that dichotomy when you see like the genuine versus the phony. Sure. Even in a movie as not good as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves,
2: mm, there yeah, is okay, yeah.
0: the corrupt priest who's in this for himself. And then there's Friar Tuck, who right. admittedly murders him, which <laughs> I'm not super thrilled with. Um, and then, even there's a, a wonderful line in uh, Road to Perdition where uh tom hanks's character when it's clear that oh the gang is now turning on me right and he's telling his son like okay here's what i want you to do i want you to go to father so-and-so do not oh go right. to this person right right so he's he i believe he winds up saying like go to no he goes to reverend so-and-so do not go to father so-and-so right so making and a distinction like, yeah this guy is in the pocket of the mob. If you go to him, you are going to them. Yeah. So like, and that he knows which is which. Yeah. And that to me is sort of like when, when Trevor says, I need a priest who can do this. Yeah. Well, and it, it it's part of why, uh, at this point, have you seen Calvary
1: yet or no? Not yet. Okay, it's it's one of the things that I... I saw so, some of it. it. It's one of the things that I so appreciate about the approach that Calvary takes to the subject, and we won't divert to a conversation about Calvary entirely, except to say that Calvary displays some people who are in it for themselves and who are very selfish about it. Right. But the anchor, Brendan Gleethan's character, is a good man, sincere yeah. in his faith, sincerely and devoutly trying to do good in the town around him. And I admire any more when... It's just too easy to treat your subject like a punching bag. yeah, and it's too easy to sort of go this alternative sort of confrontational route. But we can when you can balance it and you have both represented, now you're actually having a conversation. And right. now there's some interesting hinge points that people who come from differing perspectives might be able to latch on. So yeah, I, I really appreciate. Yeah when a show will infuse that I think it's better storytelling. I mean I appreciate yeah. it because I'm a believer so I don't I don't really love seeing it all get beat up on but yeah. heck I've been beat up by the church. So I yeah. so, you know I understand. But I just appreciate it also from a storytelling perspective. I just think it's a more interesting way to tell your story right. than to have it too heavily slanted in one direction or
0: another. Yeah, I I agree. Like and yeah, it's com- like the idea of Dracula being a little bit justified in what he's doing Mm -hmm. is something that no one has ever said is okay. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, uh, very few people actually defend Dracula. (laughs) Uh, And so, and so to make the church, the, the organization of the church, like corrupt in this particular area is, is something that I think is really exciting. And, With a with a show like Castlevania, you could have made it very cut and dry. Oh, absolutely. Um, In every in every sense, and so I I do like what it is doing, and I and I look forward to further expansion of that theme. Right. Um, And so I did, but I did want to. uh, I was iffy because you know this is a TV show, so I thought like, uh, is a is a companion film appropriate? Right. But I thought like, yeah, but there's but it's like, but this is animated. So you know, and it's basically a movie as far as lengthwise. Time, lengthwise, sure. Um, and I thought, like, okay, well, obviously, I'm going to talk about Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, obviously, <laughs> um, from 1996, and uh, it's a movie that I saw at the time and really liked, really yeah, appreciated. Me too. It's a film that I rewatched recently and love. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Aside from the gargoyles, but. <laughs> uh, that were clearly added to like lighten things up a bit. Oh yeah, that's actually a,
1: one of the elements yeah. that uh, not to just be pretentiously name dropping, but that's one of the elements that Roger Ebert praised about it. But I feel the same way. It it's so atypical to the rest of the tone of the film. Yeah, because there's some humor in it from like Phoebus and, sure. and a couple of it. The, the, it's got some some somewhat humorous moments, but boy, you get. Jason Alexander as the gargoyle. And yeah. you're like, what? It yeah. does feel like it's taking place in yeah. a different movie.
0: Pour the wine and cut the cheese. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's in the same movie as as Frollo's horrifying song. Hellfire. Uh, Hellfire. Oh, my God. <laughs> gosh totally how can you well, make this work i understand comic relief but you just said you just made a cut the cheese joke yeah, yeah. in the victor uh, the adaptation of the victor hugo novel like, oh it's, my gosh i mean it's fine I, it's not the end of the world this is for kids i guess um, yeah, yeah 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 well my son watched it
1: with me because i'm a bad parent and he when he was sitting there watching it he did like during that song he's a little bit like I'm a little nervous and I'm like, it's okay, son. You don't, you know, you don't have to watch this one part of it, but yeah, it's even not just that song, but when he's doing the ABCs with, with Quasimodo and and it's like D and he says, damnation. And then he says E eternal damnation. I'm like, (laughs) "What? this is a, this is definitely a very
0: sort of uh, bleak and dire as bleak and dire as a subject matter is, have you ever read the book? I have not. I know how different it is than al- almost every adaptation, I believe. Like, it ends yeah. so tragically.
1: Oh, it is. Because that the big hero moment in Hunchback, of, in the Disney version, yeah. when Quasimodo breaks the chains and comes down and rescues Esmeralda, and it, it's wonderful. Sanctuary, sanctuary, yeah. sanctuary She's in that Christ figure pose, because that's what they do and everything. And so it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is great. Well, that moment happens in the book. About two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. And then Frollo, who is an agent of the church in the book, uh, yeah. he's a judge in this, but he's a, yeah. I believe, a cardinal in the book. Yeah. So, but then Frollo tricks Quasimodo into turning Esmeralda back in, back over to him. Why is it, I'm spoiling the book, not the movie. That's fine.
0: But winds up
1: hanging Esmeralda so like quasimodo's big heroic moment means nothing yeah and then just is such, such a dim bulb that quasimodo <laughs> and then just in distress quasimodo like wraps up esmeralda and like ends up being buried alive in the catacombs and somebody finds their their bones later with him like wrapping. it's like the bleakest yeah. darkest ending possible i'm like who it's had- what executive at Disney was like, I got an idea for you. Let's, let's do this
0: film. Cause yeah. the kiddos will love it. They'll line up yeah. down the block. And yeah. And it's, uh, and yet I still like it so much. I, I, I do enjoy them. And yeah, I it like definitely a has a, an upbeat ending in a lot sure. of ways. Although, you know, still kind of sad cause you know, Quasimodo doesn't get the girl. Right. Um, right. so I think that's, that's very interesting and mm-hmm. something that, that I'm, I'm, I would be intrigued to know, like, what a kid would think of that. Like, sure. if a kid, you know, I'm sure any number of kids probably watch the film and, and feel like they can relate to Quasimodo more yeah. so than Phoebus or anybody else. Sure, and the fact that he doesn't get the girl mm-hmm. and that the dashing and witty uh, Phoebus, uh, Phoebus, yeah, uh, the mm-hmm. fact that he gets her, uh, I'm sure any number of kids might feel discouraged by that, and mm-hmm. yet. Quasimodo is still like undeniably heroic and selfless right. and all of these things. So I don't know. There's, there's still complexity and there's still a, a, a certain sadness yeah. in the, in the film. Um, but obviously the, the thing we are going to be talking about is Frollo. Of course. Who, despite right. being a judge is absolutely representative of the church. Oh yes. He's not called cardinal or anything like that. He is a judge and it's purely a formality. Everything about him is the church.
1: Yes. Um,
0: his and, attire,
1: every, yeah. everything just reeks yeah. of of that era of Catholicism. Yeah,
0: and it is one of the best Disney villains, I think. Oh yeah, voiced by Tony, the wonderful Tony Jay, mm-hmm. um whose voice you've undoubtedly heard in your nightmares. Um, <laughs> and it's it is unfortunate. I I wonder. Like I think his character is not often counted among the best Disney villains, partially because there's a film that isn't often talked about, but I, I, I think it that. deserves to be visually. I think it's beautiful, but also that character is so complex mm-hmm. and so, so evil. Oh yes. And yet there is a certain degree of self hatred and self condemnation. There's not much, not as much as uh, con- condemnation of other people, but in his marvelous song which is beautifully animated and well written and well sung
1: oh yeah. It's there's a, haunting. a
0: there's a line in which so Frollo is singing about an, among other things Esmeralda mm-hmm. she's a gypsy he doesn't like gypsies he thinks that they're terrible uh you know leeches on society all this kind of thing so he's talking he's singing about her and he says god have mercy on her god have mercy on me but she will be mine or she will burn and it's like the That word burn is like the big moment of the song. Oh yeah. But think of how fascinating this, this sentiment is God have mercy on her. That is a genuine, right. That is a genuine Christian sentiment. Mm -hmm. God have mercy on me. Right. He's acknowledging that he needs God's mercy. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it's like, but Right. She will be mine or she will burn like this very unchristian and this very selfish and this very dark sentiment. So like, it's so fascinating. that This guy does seem to understand what he needs from God, but that he is prioritizing what he wants, Hmm. but he also doesn't like that. He wants it. Right. You know, it's, it's a wonderful song and fascinating. And just, I, I, I feel like, that sequence alone, there's a lot of great sequences in the film. Um, but I feel like that sequence alone is like one of the best songs, one of the best animated sequences that Disney has done in like in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's It's affecting. It's very haunting. It's intended to be. And from a thematic perspective, obviously, even just you reading the lines and everything, it makes me think about the fact that sometimes... Now, this is going to be a rather grandiose statement okay. to make just bluntly like this, but sometimes knowledge of right and wrong is not enough to stave off like doing the wrong thing. Oh, sure. Like even in this, you know, God have mercy on her. God have mercy on me, but she will be mine or she will burn. Yeah. Um, it reminds me ironically of a, of a Stephen King short story called morality. Mm-hmm. I won't go into the entire plot of the movie, just, or the story just suffice it to say a character is paid to do a thing. They know to be immoral and, When they do this thing, they get their money, they're on easy street for the rest of the time, and then the story uh, shows about how their life sort of unravels at that point. But the final line of that story, the character who goes many years down the line, has done this thing, um, everybody's life is in shambles they acquire at a used bookstore a big book on morality Mm. and they start and and this is the way that story ends because it was pretty haunting i mean stephen king's a horror writer but um it says they read the book in one afternoon and i'm not quoting it verbatim but this is pretty close to what it is they read the book in one afternoon and then set it down disappointed because there was nothing in it they didn't already know Mm. and i was like that that is really that's that's the case isn't it yeah that it's really not necessarily a problem with knowing right and wrong yeah. that we really have issue with. Yeah, And I think, and I think that's true. I mean, we're having this broad conversation about the
0: role of the church. And I'm not even sure if this was the specific thematic bent that you, that you wanted to take with it. Uh, that is the larger bent. And then we can make it more individual in a moment. Okay. So speaking in the broadest general terms that,
1: Sort of uh, the church as the bastion of morality, as the safeguard, the gatekeepers for right and wrong, as it were. Um, there are people who, as as the bishop in Castlevania or as Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame, who they kind of they know they know automatically that they are perpetuating something that is that is wrong yeah. to a degree. Um, or at least, well, the bishop in Castlevania maybe doesn't, maybe isn't quite as self-aware as Frollo yeah. seems to be. Yeah. But they're perpetuating something that they know to be sort of wicked or evil, but they feel like because they are in the position that they're in, that they're given this this easy or quick sort of pass, and that is something that I find to be somewhat true. But it's not exclusive to the church. Right. I feel like it is true of anyone who has an an ideological framework that they think is of utmost importance beyond the intricacies of their smaller sure smaller details. I think that can be true of a political ideology. I think that can be true of a social ideology or a philosophy where no. if somebody feels like, well, yes, at the base level I am this thing or I represent this thing. Right. So all this other stuff that I'm doing or saying or putting forth out there is Yes, that, that may not be true, or maybe I made a mistake or something like that, but ultimately it still comes back to this, and I still represent this thing. Right. And that is the, I'll go ahead and call it out as the lie, that it can be very easy for church people, I won't even say Christians, just churchy people yeah. to slide into, that you can feel like, well, I'm given a pass, or I, or I, I don't have to adhere to these other things because I represent right. the church. It's how... Uh, you know, every church has got a busybody, or every church has got yeah. somebody that feels the need or the compulsion to tell someone else how to live their life. But it also happens on social media. It happens mm-hmm. uh, in the political spectrum. Like you feel like you are given the authority and permission yeah. to speak of things that you don't feel necessarily apply to you, right. or that you don't think you have to rigidly adhere to. And then to a degree, you're not even really challenged by. Yeah. I mean, Frollo in that line. Isn't challenged by his own, uh, like, he's challenged by the conflict within him about his affection toward her, only in so much as that he he does know it's wrong, but I think there's also just that he knows she'll reject him. Sure. And so it's one of those things where uh, it's this idea that he is haunted and tormented by an inner turmoil but as much because it will go unrequited and he knows it will go unrequited as he is that he knows it's a misplaced affection and that yeah. he should not be uh this obsessive about this this woman uh, or for these reasons you know and uh but she'll be mine or she'll burn because that's the power that i have that's the right. the position of authority that i have been given and uh there's a moment Towards the end of *Hunchback of Notre Dame*, that uh, struck me on this rewatch. That uh, when he says the line, he's about to, you know, plunge the sword and and uh, and lob off Esmeralda's Esmeralda's head again. For a Disney movie, it's dark, yeah. (laughs) But um, he's about to, you know, slice down and and kill her. And he says, "I should have written it down." But he says, "You know, he shall smite the wicked and send them into the into the." into the pit. Right. Uh, again, I'm not quoting it verbatim and I apologize for that. I should have written it down, but he says he will smite the wicked and send them into the pit. It is at that moment that inexplicably the gargoyle on which he's standing cracks. Yeah. And breaks. And then even when he holds onto it, like the gargoyle seems to, to come to life for a moment and he himself, what plunges down into the, the fiery abyss beneath
0: him. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, the the city is burning but by the time he's he falls into the flames like you don't see any city all you see is fire he's yes. literally falling into a lake of fire yeah absolutely at that point. absolutely and
1: so it's a visual symbol of of what's happening to him uh, yeah. and and where his character has gone um and i think that's the, sort of the final little button that i'll say on it is i think that is the really frightening thing um, that we are all i believe to a degree capable of yeah which is we we might all find ourselves in a position where we lose sight of the responsibility our our representation has afforded us right that yes we we represent uh, like we as christians or outspoken christians like i i represent christ to many people like i am the uh not that i'm more important than anyone else but to some who will encounter me i will even if only for that moment represent um christ to this to this person right um if if they are not also of that same ideology or belief system and we can lose sight of the weight of that responsibility Yeah. Um, that we can begin to feel so comfortable in the charge or calling that we've been given that we just feel like we've again been given a pass and that yeah. we don't have to, we don't have to attend to our own internal, yeah. you know, moral, moral compass and that we do so at our detriment.
0: And you know, it's so interesting the, the way the, the, the terms that you're using because Mm. it it seems really uh, apropos um, Mm. because you're talking about representing
2: Mm.
0: not what you are, not what you believe, but what you represent. Right. Well, what is a representation if not the outer? Right. Right. So to get back to what the demon says, we're talking about an empty box. Mm. Yeah. Like the outside looks quite nice but it's empty. Right. You know? And so the idea, and so with, with Frollo and I'd say the Bishop, it's like this thing that I represent, I'm using the credibility of mm. that. Right. To get what I want. Right. And so people are looking at me and they're they are. I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm afforded a certain degree of authority uh, because of this thing that I theoretically am a part of. Right. Or, right. And, I, and I theoretically am on board with, but Eh, I really just want what I want, you know? And so like Frollo says, like she'll be mine or she will burn. The burning part is a function of his authority. Hmm. How many people, how many of us will say like, it will be mine, whatever the, it might be a person, it right. might be a job, right. it might be any of the other things that it's just like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's only because we don't have the authority that we can, that we don't say that other thing. Right. Right. Um. And so, you know, in in all cases, like it's clear that like Frollo is talking about the church. He's talking about uh, you know forgiveness and condemnation. Because I believe there's a moment as he's going through the alphabet that F does stand for forgiveness, um, right? But uh, so th- in theory, he's he's all in favor of this and, and in favor of righteousness as the bishop is in Castlevania. Um, but they also none of it seems to apply to them and they haven't seemed to really internalize what it means for them. Right. Um, and so uh, there are a number of, of things that I have to read here. Um, there's uh, so Esmeralda talks to Frello and says, you speak of justice yet you are cruel to those most in need of your help. That's something that struck me. Not like she didn't say you speak of justice yet you are cruel. No, no, no. Right. You are cruel to those most in need of your help. Quasimodo says all my life, you have told me that the world is a dark, cruel place, but now I see that the only thing dark and cruel about it is people like you. And so it's this idea of, you know, Esmeralda saying like talking about the people most in need of your help. An argument could be said that she's talking about the least of these Mm, and that like Frollo is in such a unique position to help. Yeah, but he's much more interested just as just as the bishop is, but he's much more interested in just having the power. Right. Um, And so the best way to have the best way to consolidate power is to is to get people afraid Mm -hmm. of witches, of gypsies, of speakers, whatever it is, and say, like, that is what you need to fear. And I am what will save you. Not necessarily. It's like, you can't say that God will save you. I mean, you might say that officially, but you have to misrepresent God or or to lie about who God is. Because if you actually say, if you, if you represent the actual God, then it's like, oh, well then we should love these people. We should Mm -hmm. love the gypsies. We should love the speakers. It's like, okay, well, we can't have that. That's not going to help me at all. (laughs) So here's what, so as a representative, this is what I will say in order to get what I need. Right. And so... And then quite literally at that point, anything, any, Any work that you do, Mm -hmm. even though it's in the name of God, ultimately makes him puke. Um, (laughs) Right. And so I have uh, a number of Bible verses. We've got Matthew seven verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evildoers uh and then james so okay this is a bit complicated um james 2 verses 14 through 19 and 25 through 26 uh essentially i cut out an example not because it's bad but to for Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she, had, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And then I'll uh, give you the next one. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 13 verses one
1: through three. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing.
0: All right. So let's, so let's tie all of these together. You know, we're talking about, and you know, the idea of faith and deeds is like an age old debate, of course, because the Bible says we're saved by faith alone. Right But here. It says faith without deeds is dead. Right. And I think it's, it's so interesting, the idea, uh, because it would seem to be a contradiction and understandably so, but I think it's this idea that. If you don't have, if you are not doing good things for people, if you're not being there for people, if whatever the situation might be, it might be a situation where a homeless person is in front of you and you have the option of giving them a couple of bucks hmm. or buying them a meal or something like that. Or it could be somebody is reaching out for help, a friend or maybe even just an acquaintance is reaching right. out for help and you are uniquely qualified if only because they're the person you're the person they're talking to, right. You're uniquely qualified to help them or listen to them or whatever it is. Um, and you don't do that. And you're trying to be like Jesus who helped everybody, right. uh, that it came in contact with him. Um, so if you're trying to be like him and you have, and you put your faith in him, but then when given these options, you don't do them or you do the exact opposite, like Frollo, who again, as, as, as Merelda says, uh, Let's see. You speak of justice yet. You are cruel to the ones most in need of your help. You know, um, then I think it's, it's literally like deeds here are an indicator of your faith. If the, it's the idea of also the idea of the fruit of the spirit. If you don't have these things, maybe look at yourself, right? Because right. maybe the faith that you profess to have has not taken root mm-hmm. so much that it has that it is bearing fruit i didn't even mean to say that you oh, know? Right, right um and so uh and i think that's the thing is that frollo and the bishop they are they see god and their faith as a means to an end right power and in the case of frollo like this woman that he lusts after like these things are what I want. These are the things that will fulfill me. Meanwhile, like if they view God and, and Jesus love and forgiveness as the fulfillment, then they would be much better able to speak to their community and, and be what, uh, what those, what their people need them to be. Sure. And so like we are, and I, and that's the thing, it's easy for us to look at the Bishop. It's easier for us to look at Frollo, who are these extreme examples of people that are openly corrupt. Right. And completely selfish and monstrous in many ways. And it's easy for us to look at that scene where the Bishop is confronted by the demon and be like, yeah, man, you, 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 right. (laughs) Right. Um, But I think it, it, it behooves us to look at our own version of this, Mm. you know, and it could be, you know, it could be maybe a sin issue in which it is revealed like, yes. Okay. Obviously the sin is wrong, but what is underneath it? Maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. we are sinning in this particular area because we feel like this is the area in which we will finally be fulfilled. Um, and so, uh, one thing that I wanted to mention, because if we're trying to be like Jesus, um, and I think it's, and I want to bring in this other element that I didn't want to talk much about, but we already kind of are in talking about Frollo and, and the bishop, like looking at other people and just finding ugliness in them. Let's say that Frollo and the bishop are actually doing everything right, <sighs> but still, but they still find such tremendous faults in others that it's nothing but condemnation mm, for those mm-hmm. other people. Um, then I'd say that attitude is also a thing that you should use to like, hmm. Because this, this comes to this idea of like, if you do these great things, but you don't have love right. for that person, right. if you only have scorn and you're doing it out of obligation or doing it so that you can boast about what a good person you are, that, that's not great either. like That is another fruit of the spirit, the idea of loving other people sure. and doing something right. out of them. Right. So I thought it would be interesting to quote uh, uh, a writer and a preacher that is so often associated with an attitude like Frollo's and like Mm. the Bishop, which is like pure condemnation. Um, and, uh, so that's Jonathan Edwards. Mm. Yes. In high school, we all read "Sinners Sinners in the the hands hands of of an angry God, Yep, you know, and the idea of like, I believe he imagines like the spider that a, that a hand is just holding over a fire and and then anyone will let him go. You know, I read that and it's like, Oh boy, that is not uh," it's like, yes, don't get me wrong. God is all for holiness and there is the possibility of consequences and all that. But it's like, Oh, I don't, this is not good press. Um, (laughs) But a friend of mine many years ago said like, yeah, it's kind, it's really unfortunate that that is his most famous sermon Mm -hmm. because he's, he gave many more. Like that was the sermon that was kind of meant to be like, yeah, maybe let's not be so content. Uh But he did many more that really emphasize God's grace Yeah. And so I wanted to quote one of those, and this is just part of it. So he's talking about Jesus and he says, when the dreadful cup was before him, he did not say to himself, why should I, who am so great and glorious a person, infinitely more honorable than all the angels of heaven, why should I go to plunge myself into such a dreadful, amazing torment For worthless, wretched worms that cannot be profitable to God or me and that deserve to be hated by me and not be loved. Why should I, who have been living uh, from all eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that never can requite me for it? Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of the divine wrath for them who who have no love to me and are my enemies?' They do not deserve any union with me and never did and, uh, and never will do anything to recommend themselves to me. What shall I be the richer for having saved a number of miserable haters of God and me who deserve to have divine justice glorified in their destruction? Such, however, was not the language of Christ's heart. In these circumstances, uh, in these circumstances, but on the contrary, his love held out, and he resolved even then, in the midst of agony, to yield himself up to the will of God and to take the cup and drink it. Yeah, it's a wonderful yeah. Uh, sentiment. Yeah, it's and, lovely. And the, honestly, like so, like only the the writer of Lo- uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God <laughs> could write that first section. Sure, like of really underlining that Jesus, like. Screw these people. Right. Exactly. A good portion of them are not even going to like this. Sure. Or even accept it. Um, And so, but in spite of all of that, chose love above all else. And certainly had uh, performed a deed, which was to sacrifice himself, which is the ultimate deed. Um, And so, you know, I, I, wanted to, even somebody who we associate with hellfire right You know, right understands the importance of love the importance of deeds and the importance of grace that we show towards others that Jesus showed to us because if we don't do that if we are only focused on what we represent and then inside we just focus on what we actually want over here this thing that will fulfill us not Jesus we use that to be respectable but in in actuality, this over, this thing over here is what will fulfill us. And that's what we're going to pursue. Yeah. Um, we're really, we not, might not be as externally extreme as mm. Frollo or the Bishop. Right. But we are still to latch on to what you enjoyed, uh, the, the phrase you enjoyed. We are still kind of an empty box at that yeah, point. Right. You know, and when you think of the term fulfilled and like the idea of Christ fulfilling us, like, the word filled is in there. And so like, you have this empty box that is waiting to be filled with the love of God. And so much so that theoretically it should spill over sure, on, you know, onto and into the lives of those around us. Yeah. And so that is what I, that's what got me. That's what (laughs) Castlevania got me thinking about. (laughs) Oh man. Um, Yeah. And,
1: but it's, it's worth remembering. It's, it's something, uh, it's something that I think is, um, is extremely vital for us to, for us to keep in mind um, that uh, yeah, it it can be easy to slant things in one direction or another and, um, and to lose track of, of the vitality of,
0: of what our faith is really
1: the substance of what we hope for.
0: Yeah. And you know, that would, that, which was done for us is something that we should strive to do for other people. Exactly, um, which is most certainly not what these characters are doing. Right. Yeah. And exactly. what we are not inclined to do. Right. But uh, but yeah. So something to definitely keep in mind. Uh, do seek out Castlevania. We've spoiled it. Uh, but it's not necessarily that kind of show that's, there's all these twists and stuff.
1: And we didn't even mention anything, even though we said kind of what happened at the ending, we didn't give specifics. We really didn't, those last, those last, uh, 15, 20 minutes or so would be a complete surprise. So yeah, definitely check it out. It's worth it.
0: And there is a character and I won't go into detail. There's a character who shows up. He's briefly in the first episode and then he shows up in the fourth episode. yeah, Yeah. And he has such a specific relationship to Dracula. Yeah. That also could play into certain Christ ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, certain. And yeah. so, uh, so yeah, there's definitely a lot to recommend about Castlevania, but do keep in mind, it's very dark in a lot of ways. Sure. And you are going to see people ripped in half and babies killed. Yeah. <laughs> Just a heads up on yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if, if, if you are willing to endure that, it's a very interesting and a very, uh, in many ways, a very convicting show. Um, and then absolutely go and see the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I really do love it. Um, anyway, so, okay. You're welcome to leave a comment in uh, this post at more than one And then you can follow me, uh, or sorry, you can email me Tyler at more than one You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can also like us on Facebook, uh, read you are on twitter as well right yes at read lackey at read lackey so you can enough. also follow my show uh at the fear of god at the fear of god yep. of course right. um now now as of the recording the most recent episode is the fly but <laughs> yes. uh but by the time this goes up there will be another one what's it gonna be it's actually gonna be on the uh the m song stan fascinating <laughs> yeah How very exciting. Okay. That's, I like that you guys think outside the box. All right. Uh, Thank you everybody for listening. Reed, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And we'll get you next time. Bye.